1: What are the issues regarding Christian nationalism? And then we're joined by Dr. Todd Chaffee, director of the Calvin Prison Initiative. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Friday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian From. It is Friday. It has been quite the week for you, Aubrey. Mm-hmm. But hey, way to get here on a Friday. Good job.
2: Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate you covered for me yesterday. You covered yep. for me, I think it was Tuesday as well. So thank you for giving me the time to rest. My body needed it, and I'm on the I'm on the mend. So You're thank you on for that. The upswing. Yes.
1: And I should say, you know, we talk about people. We want to have a community. You have people, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Some nice messages sent to you over the Facebook.
2: So many kind people who listen to this show sent me messages, said that they were praying. And I got personal messages on my own Instagram. I asked people how I can pray for them. And some people reached out to me, some really Really personal things, so I, I'm honored to be able to have prayed for them. I did pray for every person I said I would, and then I watched a lot of television, so I wasn't <laughs> only spiritual all the time.
1: I <laughs> mean, the only messages I got were, per, were uh, direct messages of going, "Is she just taking time off? Like, is that all that's happening here? Is <laughs> She's she just so
2: lazy? Like,
1: is she faking?" Then I was like, "No, no, no, we're good, we're good." So <laughs> anyway,
2: She's glad you're baking. here.
1: Exactly, glad you're here with us on a Friday afternoon, Aubrey. You want to start a Friday afternoon, right? Let's talk Christian nationalism. Ooh, how about let's that? Do it. For you? That sounds fun. There's a guy that became very well known over COVID. His name is Sean Foyt. Foyt There's a guy that became very well known over COVID. His name is Sean Foyt. I believe his name is F.E.U. Oh, is that how you say
2: that? Oh, OK.
1: I think so. I could be getting yeah, it wrong. I, I would have uh, said something. So listen. he That's became funny. well known. Because in the midst of the lockdowns, yes, he was leading very public, big worship Worship gatherings.
2: Gatherings, yes.
1: Namely, targeted at state capitals, right? And so uh, he became very well known for that, and uh, has continued to be well known. I think you're right. I think he's out of Bethel, and uh, but he continues to have quite the stage. And there was a clip going around uh, Twitter where he kind of talks about the tenets of Christian nationalism. He doesn't use the word, I don't think, Christian nationalism. Mm -mm. Uh, But he talks about what's the goal. All right. What is our goal uh, as Christians as it relates to the government? Let's take a listen to that.
3: It's all part of the king coming back. That's what we're practicing for. That's why why hell hates it that we're worshiping at every capital across America. That's why we get called, well, you're Christian nationalists. You want want the kingdom to be the government. Yes. (laughs) You want God to come and overtake the government. Yes. (laughs) You want Christians to be the only ones. Yes, we do. (laughs) We wouldn't be a disciple of Jesus if we didn't believe that. (laughs) We want God to be in control of everything. Yeah, yeah. We want believers to be the ones writing the laws. Yes, guilty as charged. Yeah. I mean, it's funny when I meet Christians where I'm like, I don't really, I'm not really, I'm like, have you read the Great Commission? Like, this is actually what we want.
1: All right, I told you this off the air, Aubrey, as we were discussing this. I said, I think what makes this an interesting conversation is it's not like on this poll is right and over here is what he's saying. He's wrong, right? It's not so Mm -hmm. much a right, wrong thing, but it's like something's just a little off. And this is what gets at Christian nationalism, Mm -hmm. because rarely when you listen to people kind of talk about it, are you going That's the worst. Like, oh, that is like satanic or something. Right. Like, that's not it. Right. So help us uh, what we just listened to.
2: Yeah. Where
1: for you do the issues lie?
2: Yeah. Because I I would say you're right. And we want to have a nuanced conversation about at least we try to about most things that we talk about. You're right that like in some things I'm like, yes, I do want Christians making laws. I do want Christians in leadership. I do want, but I think here's where, here's where it starts to go off for me. One, I don't like that he quoted the Great Commission. Look at the Great Commission. What else are we, something like, what else are we reading? I'm not sure how fulfilling Jesus's words to baptize, you know, all nations, the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit how that conflates with Christians in governmental power. So that to me is not the right train of thought or the center of what Jesus was talking about Christians running America when he was calling us to make disciples. Like, I just don't think the great commission is one, it's not specifically about America and two, it's, it's not about power. And I think that's the other piece that always sort of, like irks me and it feels subtle, but it ends up being about power and that we want to have more power than other people in this world. And I think a Christian grab for power is always anti-Christian because Mm. Jesus has told us again and again and again, that to love your life is to lose it. That love is dying for your enemies, that Mm -hmm. we are called to wash each other's feet. Like there is, I mean, Jesus, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King had all power and authority and yet gave it away on the cross for us intentionally, yes. knowingly. Now we believe he is in full power, but it's like the power grab that sort of motivates some of that and dismissing other other rules and, and other countries and other I don't know. That's where it starts to get too far for me. I don't like conflating. I don't agree yes. with conflating the Great Commission and governmental power in America. And I don't I don't like the myopic view on American leadership alone. And I don't like the power grab. That's where it rubs me the wrong way. That said, yep. I'm with him. Like, I want to see Christians in those places of leadership and passing the laws. So it's that's where you're right, Brian. It's not like it's so crazy out there. It's just that something feels off.
1: So it's like we, we want Christian influence, but he, where it always goes too far for me, where what he was talking about was like, we want Christians to essentially take over the government. And I don't see that Jesus on, on, while he was on earth, did not come to take over the government. That's what, that's what they kept missing. The people were going, when are you going to take your throne? Like, when are you going to overthrow the Romans? And he basically was like, now is not that like, that's not what I came for. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the Great Commission, we are called to go bring good news. We are called to go and make disciples. We are not called to go and take over the government, go and make America Christian and everywhere through society when Christianity has been co-opted by the government, it's gone poorly.
2: It has gone poorly and it's lost. It's, it's lost. It's, it's power. I mean, speaking of power, it's lost. It's right. It's right. Size, Holy spirit fueled power because we look too much like the culture of power around us. Anyway, go ahead. Well, he says
1: it's all part of the King coming back, right? Like, like, that's not what we've been called to do. We've been called to be Christ representatives. We've been called to go and make disciples. Mm-hmm. We've been Ministers called to... Ministers of
2: reconciliation. It
1: just is different than... Yeah. yeah. Vote in the Ten Commandments. Make make Jesus the, the God of your country. And this. we want to see as many Americans come to faith as possible. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that America needs to turn into a legislative Christian body. Right. And of course there's coming a day when Jesus rules on the throne and the set, that's but right. that's not why Jesus came. And we're kind of in the stage where we are modeling what Jesus did. And that's where it becomes off. And it be like you said, it starts to feel like a power grab. Like, no, this is the Christians are going to win and we're going to yeah. be winning by having all the offices and this, that. And I, I just don't see that when I read Jesus's words in the great commission, Or whatever else. I think what's hard is
2: it's like it makes you think you belong to the United States of America and not the kingdom of God, right? That's right. Ultimately, our citizenship is to a totally not empire, but to Jesus's kingdom. And that's, that's right. what like, like Jesus did get political, but like Brian said, not in the way that people expected it to. Instead, he was like, no, 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 you belong to my kingdom. And my kingdom is the upside down reversal of what you think mm-hmm. a kingdom should be. And so I just think if we start elevating empire as God's kingdom, we're getting into some dangerous, dangerous territory. And again, like what's hard is it's subtle. And I think that's why the message has power, because, of course, we want Jesus to rule. We want as many Americans to come to Christ as possible. But the goal is not America as a Christian nation.
1: That's right. That's right. Speaking of upside down, coming up next, did you know that there's a college, Calvin University, that is taking their their courses into prisons in Michigan, and they're seeing God do unbelievable things. We're going to talk to the director of the Calvin Prison Initiative. His name is Dr. Todd Chaffee. He's going to join us next year on The Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. So, Aubrey, one of the things we love to do on the show is to bring on people and organizations that are doing just fascinating stuff. Uh, with that in mind, we are thrilled to be joined by the director of the Calvin Prison Initiative and also the professor of congregational and ministry studies at Calvin University. His name is Dr. Todd Chaffee. Todd, how are you doing today, bud? Doing very well. and good to be with you. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. And, you know, you and I were talking off air, got some mutual friends and this and that. So I've seen some of what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but please, for our people, just to unpack, what is the Calvin
4: Prison Initiative? Sure. So the Calvin Prison Initiative is a program that offers incarcerated men in Michigan to earn a BA in faith and community leadership. Mm. We admit about 25 guys a year. They go through the program as a cohort, and they do all the regular studies uh, that any Calvin student would. It's liberal arts based, so they're reading history and literature and philosophy Uh, theology, Bible, and then they major in the uh, faith and community leadership. After five years, we also offer them internships, if you will, because we want them to work, uh, be servant leaders in the prison system as prisoners Mm. in the areas of academics, ministry, and peer mentoring. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so this is really about transforming Michigan's prisons from the inside out.
2: Wow.
4: And and giving uh, incarcerated men a chance at discovering a sense of vocation, calling, and using the gifts and skills that they've now developed uh, to serve those men who are in their shoes, too.
2: Mm. And, Todd, um, are there students that go to class side by side with these imprisoned men, or are they their own cohort without other Calvin students? Like, give us the details of what it actually looks like.
4: So, uh, for many years, they uh, would go through coursework. They're in prison uh, together with no main campus students, if you will. Uh, but about two years ago, uh, just after COVID, we started what's called an inside-out program where now main campus students can take a class with incarcerated students at the prison. Wow. And so far we've been doing this with social work classes and uh, the results are just fantastic. Mm. And so you have a lot of 18, 20, 22 year olds who the only thing they really know about incarceration is what they see in the media, which Mm -hmm. it's normally all bad. Yeah. And you have incarcerated uh, men, Calvin students who basically have been ignored by society. They've been forgotten. Mm. And about two thirds of our guys are serving life sentences. And some of them haven't even had a visit because they've been incarcerated so long in years and years. And so this is where outside inside can come together. uh, And they do so as Calvin students, which they just all love. And they do it now uh, as a Calvin and Christian community. And the results are just fantastic. That's yeah,
1: fascinating.
2: Yeah, it is uh, You
1: touched on this already, Todd, but I'd love for you to unpack it more. Uh, a lot of us only know of incarcerated you know, people in prisons from what we see on the movies or TV or sure. read about or whatever. What don't we understand about
4: you know, men and women who are incarcerated? Right. Great question. So I always tell folks, everybody's in prison. Mm. Um, a professional. The professional's in prison. Hmm. Uh, day laborer is in prison. Black, white, Latino, all the people that we know on the outside, they're all in there, so to say. And so I've run across surgeons, accountants, hmm. gang members, gang leader. I mean, they're all there. Hmm. And what we don't understand is that no one plans to go to prison.
2: Yeah. Wow.
4: And yet things have occurred in their lives. Uh, often they come from dysfunctional backgrounds. Often they get involved, finally, in uh, things they shouldn't, a lot of drug addiction, alcohol addiction, Mm. and all of a sudden they have this horrible day, and now the rest of their life is going to be marked by that day. Wow. Mm. Wow. And we just assume that all these people who are imprisoned are, quote, horrible people, Mm. and uh, that they've been nothing but horrible people their whole lives. Well, it's just not true. Mm. And then you get to meet the family and friends of these incarcerated men. And again, these are our neighbors. These are people that we know. And yet uh, we've even ostracized them because they're so embarrassed to ever say anything about it, especially in our Mm -hmm. churches. Yeah. And so I think that what we learn, especially as Christians, is that we uh, go to these settings and really we we see our neighbors. We see our neighbors in need, if you will, in a gospel sense. And frankly, we see ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, the only difference between us is that, um, their sin got caught. Mine didn't.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
4: And, and so I have a front row seat to my own, uh, failings and they teach me how to finally uh, acknowledge that fully. Mm -hmm. And then how to say now, how do I, what do I have to do to help repair that? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's one of the best examples, if you will, um, that I have found almost really of the church of, uh, if, if only our churches could be more like a prison, frankly. Oh gosh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good.
2: That's a really good line. Um, Todd, I know part of the hope here is obviously bringing hope, dignity, and opportunity for real accomplishment for these incarcerated men. I'm also thinking of You know, Christians who are really passionate about justice or prison reform and maybe want to, I don't know, maybe want to partner with you or learn how to stand in the gap or like just get a little better educated on some of these things you're talking about. What's some words of wisdom you have for those Christians in particular?
4: Right. So uh, starting in July, the federal government is now going to make Pell Grants available to anyone who qualifies, even if he or she's incarcerated. Mm. This is important because this was done away with in 1994. Wow. And so for several decades, um, there's virtually been no higher education programming in prisons because frankly, there's just no money for it. uh, And most prisoners can't afford it. So now that these Pell Grants are going to be coming back, this is a major opportunity for Christian colleges and universities to get involved. Mm. We know uh, through research in the last several decades That opportunities of higher education improves all sorts of aspects about incarceration. Mm. One of the biggest one is that if you receive higher ed programming in prison, the likelihood of you returning to prison someday drops by over half. Wow. If you complete a college degree, it drops below 10%. If you get a master's degree while you're in prison, it drops below 1%. Wow. Wow. So, if we were to say what programming has finally worked in the last 50 years, uh, we can say higher education, and it's when it's done by people in higher ed. Not departments of corrections, not the state, Mm -hmm. but people who actually, that's their profession. They focus on higher ed. So this would be an opportunity right now for Christian colleges and universities to get involved and have a tremendous impact on the lives of their students but also society, the common yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. And so one thing we were talking about Wheaton College and uh, Noah Toley was a professor there and he's now provost here at Calvin University. I actually first met Noah years ago on a phone call because he was inquiring about how Wheaton could get a program going in a prison.
2: Wow, wow. that's amazing.
4: And so I think this is where our Christian institutions uh, could really step up. So I would just tell people if you went to a Christian college or university, Ask them to start a program. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah.
4: Ask them to uh, get education going in these prisons because the other aspect from a Christian point of view is that I'm not just concerned about educating someone. Mm-hmm. I want to see that person flourish Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. as someone created by God and someone for whom Jesus died. Yeah. 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 And so, so I, I don't want just education per se. I want complete moral and spiritual transformation. And uh, they're, they're ready for it. They're eager for it. And it's, it's very much needed.
1: Oh, that's such good news. That's so encouraging. Yeah, Again, so good. Uh, Todd Chaffee is a director of, Cal, of the Calvin Prison Initiative up there in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's also, also professor of congregational and ministry studies at Calvin University. Todd, you guys are doing the Lord's work, man. This is really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for spending some time with yeah, us today. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. Thanks
2: for having me. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. So glad that you're with us today. I'm so glad to be back. Kind of had a spotty in and out week, but it's Friday. I'm here. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Brian, I'm jealous because you got to interview Terrence Lester earlier this week when i wasn't here he's he's the love beyond walls guy uh and author of several books tell me about there's something that he mentioned that we're actually going to talk about but tell me in general like what the interview was like because i wish i could have been there
1: he was great because he was uh a lot of times we do these interviews we could see each other on screen right and um he was you could tell when someone you're interviewing is really thinking
3: like Mm. really
1: like And if anyone was listening to the interview at one point, he's like, can I just be honest? And you're like, Oh, this is going to be good. Like right when he said those words, I was like, please do. This is going to be good. And so love him. I would encourage people to get his book. That's coming out in June. I believe I might get this. a little wrong. I believe it's called all God's children. Uh, But yeah, love beyond walls. Check it out online. He fascinating, fascinating guy.
2: Mm, Yeah. His, his ministry is very, very cool. Well, one of the things that our, um, our producer, Laura Finch, uh, really was thinking about was a story that he told and i i kind of brian if you don't mind whether you tell the story because i wasn't there so i don't want to put words in his mouth but essentially the idea is that Terrence lester was asked to talk about reconciliation in a white church where he was on staff right after philando castile was killed and but and there seemed to be some like disconnect with him as a person of color, like him as a human. And he, no one asked him how he felt. Is that, am I telling that story correctly?
1: It was basically it. He said, um, you know, what he struggled with was after that happened, he was, he was on staff, as you said, in a predominantly white church. And I could totally, it's not at all right, but you could see how it happens, right? Because he's on Mm. staff. Yeah. And so it wasn't like he was just a guy in the back pew where they're like, well, let's get one of the you know, African-American guys to come talk about this. But yeah. he was a staff member. So they immediately said, basically, can you get up on Sunday and just help us process this? Help us. Yeah. How do we think about this? What do we do? Right. That's what we jump to when people go through tragedies. What do we do? And he was really hurt by not nobody saying, how are you doing? Mm how has this affected you yeah uh let me let you kind of vent or whatever else it might yeah. be and that, that kind yeah. of broke him a little bit it mm. kind of broke his uh his connection to that church and mm. he even acknowledged like i understand how it came out that way like i was on staff they were going yeah what, what do we do
2: right help uh, us
1: Exactly. Exactly. But he was sitting there going, gosh, I, I just need to I need to lament and be sad yeah. and have other people help me process. What Absolutely. I
2: Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that our producer, Laura, asked is if we like what are our responses in situations like that? Do you check in with your your friends of color after a race related tragedy? And I, I'll speak to that, Brian. I do. I always do. In fact, the last time I did was the Tyree Nichols video release. I checked in on probably three or four of my black friends. Like, are you okay? I'm praying for you. I'm so sorry. You don't need to respond because I didn't want to make it about me, but just like, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm so sorry. Um, And some of these shootings that we talked about last week, I I check in, especially friends that are friends of color that are in my renewal community, like, love you guys. Are you okay? And, but I would say that it's taken me, like, that's been a new thing for me in the past several years. And I was, during COVID, actually, I got to be part of this prayer group with, um, it was online only, it was women in ministry, and it was some of the most famous Christian women you can name right now. And I w- had no idea why I got invited there, but I was invited <laughs> to be with them. And, um, and half of these women were black women, very famous Bible teachers and speakers and ministers. And when George Floyd was killed, we had a meeting to pray. And one of these women um, stopped and said, look, I cannot go on and pretend like we're just going to have a normal prayer meeting. Like half the church is Grieving and lamenting so deeply right now, we need to pause and talk about this. And I hated that this like this outstanding, again, so well-known black woman, super respected, had to stop and say that to the rest of us. It was very convicting But what it did was begin like we actually ended up like all attending a class together around racism. We all ended up praying for our nation specifically around those things. And it taught me as this sort of biased white person, just some specific things like that. You have to check in with your friends of color when something like this happens, just like you would check in on any friend if there's a tragedy that hits home for them. Are you okay? This is traumatic. I'm so sorry. And um, so, again, I, I guess why I'm making that point is this wasn't always a natural instinct for me. It's something I've had to learn to kind of shed my own white bias, be, have a little more compassion and openness to the people of color in our country that are impacted deeply when this kinds of kind of thing happens. And but that's real relationships. I'm not texting a rando in my life like these are people I do life with day to day. So it's a natural kind of connection.
1: Yeah, But I do, what I appreciated I do think about,
2: this matters. Go ahead. Ryan. Yeah, What
1: I appreciate about what Taryn said was it got me thinking about the number of times pastors or staff members are either expected or we put the own expectation on us to get up and explain things and always totally. be behind the microphone. And it's yeah. just be like, I don't know. Like in his case, you know, it would have been nice if he could have just said, I'm not up for it. I need to talk yeah. it it. Uh, you know, but you, you bring up the point that, Th- th- there seems to be this thing in the church world where we don't allow grief to happen. And particularly well, us pastors either aren't given the opportunity or we don't allow ourselves to like, oh, I've got to yeah. be the expert. I got to talk. Yeah. I got to go give the God talk instead of going, right. I got nothing for you today. I went through X, Y, or Z um, or just to say, I don't have any answers for you. You and I, we talk about this from your book and from other things. It just, we just in general, Regardless of what the topic or situation is, when things are hard, we don't allow for listening. We don't allow to go, hey, let's let's just how are you doing or I don't have any good answer for you. Like we always feel like we need to wrap everything up in a bow. And I almost say that's America. I just think that's a Christian thing. We just try to wrap stuff up in a bow because we think when stuff's not wrapped up that it speaks badly of God. When in reality, it probably just speaks badly of us.
2: Right. I actually think like the better move for a pastor on a Sunday morning after a person of color is killed or a a tragedy happens would just be to stop and be like, I don't know how to speak to this. I'm, I'm grieving too. Let's all grieve together. And like, I know that's a weird thing to do in a church and it feels abnormal. And how do you plan for that? You have music and you have announcements and you have, but there is like a time and a space, like Brian said, to really listen and um. And not to try to wrap evil up, but instead to name it and enter in with grief and, you know, going back to this main conversation, like check in with your friends and make sure they're okay. All right, Brian, well, coming up next, we are joined by Dr. Nijay Gupta. He has a brand new book out that I have been devouring about women in the early church. It is one of the best books I read on the topic. I can't wait to pick his brain when we come back. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined by Dr. Nije Gupta. He's a professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary, author of many books, including a brand new one that I'm obsessed with. It is called Tell Her <laughs> Story, How Women Led, Taught, and Ministered in the Early Church. Nijay, thanks so much for being here with us today.
5: My pleasure. Excited to talk to you.
2: Hey, so your book came out just a couple of weeks ago. Can you tell us um, what made you decide to write this?
5: Yeah, so many things. But, you know, some some immediate thoughts are just, um, you know, a process of study that I went through in seminary. This was back in the early 2000s. But, you know, I grew up in a church that was very male oriented. I, I didn't think of it as a bad thing. It was just, you know, men were up front preaching. Men were, you know, serving as elders. Men were the pastors. And there's a certain way of reading the Bible where you could come to the clu- conclusion that that the Bible is a man's world. Yeah, and I'm, you know, a professional biblical scholar. I write commentaries. I teach the Bible on a regular basis. And throughout my work as a biblical scholar, I kept noticing that women keep showing up in the story <laughs> of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it started to make me wonder why aren't we talking about these women? Many of whom probably we just have never even heard of, but are in the Bible, like Tryphena and Tryphosa, Mary of Rome, Euodia, Syntyche, Nympha. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have told me, until I read your book, I'd never even knew the name Nympha Mm. Was not only did I know it wasn't in the Bible, but that it was she's actually a leader uh, in the early church, let alone Junia and Priscilla, who people are a little bit more familiar with. So it's basically an attempt at recovery. I'm not adding things to the Bible, but I'm saying, hey, everybody, let's put spotlights on these women that can be incredible examples of faith, leadership, resilience, perseverance and so forth. Yeah. Fascinating,
1: EJ. Um, and, and then what's the hope? Obviously, you write this with some hope, uh, hope for change in the church or hope for just great or not. What, what is your hope that you hope comes out of this book as people read it?
5: Yeah, my, my hope is that both women and men have women heroes of the faith in the same way they have men heroes of the faith. Mm-hmm. My wife, works in ministry. She's served in pastoral roles. She's served in the parachurch. She's done overseas missions work. And sadly, she's experienced some negative things in the church where people have told her you shouldn't be here. You're disobeying God or, you know, your husband should be leading you all those things. And what I've noticed in scripture is the apostle Paul is constantly rubbing shoulders with women in leadership. And I, and I'd like to say, what I say in the book is Paul has kind of a blind approach to ministry leadership. You know, I love soccer. So I use soccer illustrations here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when the coach is putting together the starting lineup, right, he's going to put in the people who are most fit, right. And, and are doing the best Mm -hmm. in practices. And he's going to say on the day, who's the best person to put up in the starting lineup. And I think Paul is thinking along those lines. Who are the, who's the best gifted uh, showing, showing the skills to put in the lineup. You take a text like Romans 16. What I want is that a text like Romans 16, where you have Jew and Gentile, slave and free, mm. ma- man and woman, that you have that reflecting our church leadership. Mm. I was just talking to a. Uh, 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 church leadership team. I was talking about elders and I, I know you guys like to get into the controversial stuff, so I'm not going <laughs> to avoid it, but I was talking to a team, uh, to a leadership team and I was just talking about elders and how we choose elders. And I, and I said, would you see a problem if you had an only women elder, mm. uh, team? And, and, and the obvious answer is yeah, because you're missing one whole perspective. Yeah. Right. So a bunch of women in a room making all the decisions. Might be great. (laughs) They're all like my wife, (laughs) but it's not ideal. So then, you know, you might say to yourself, it'd be great to have one man. Wouldn't it be great to have one man amidst all those women so he could (laughs) offer a male's perspective? Well, then we could say the opposite, too. So, you know, you're asking what I would love at the end of the day is God created us male and female. So it makes sense to me not that we have only men leading, not that we have only women leading, but that we have partnership. Let's yeah. say, like a podcast where you have a man and a woman co hosting <laughs> great conversations. Look at that. Right? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Sometimes, usually, <laughs> it's, all, it's all, I would just say it's all for the common good. That's what I it's would say. Good. Hey, there you go. There well you go. done,
2: well done there, NJ. I, I, really, really appreciate just kind of that thought. And I, want to, I want to continue. And you don't have to talk more about eldership if you don't want to. But specifically, <laughs> those like so-called prohibition texts, because that's right. where everybody ends up. Like, I love that you make a case for all of these women and shining spotlights on them. But you, you do get to like, all right, but let's talk about the hard text where we could use Paul's words to sort of justify the patriarchy forever. And um, I appreciate your approach to them. So you obviously dedicated a whole book to this, but could you unpack a little bit maybe for some of our listeners?
5: Sure. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that many people expected me to do was to start out the book talking about the don'ts. Right. The first Timothy two, where Paul says, I don't permit a woman to dot, 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 or the household codes, you know, or first, uh, which is like Colossians three, Ephesians five, where it talks about women should be submissive and so forth. Um, Or first Corinthians 14 talks about women being silent. First Corinthians 11 talks about so-called headship. And I didn't want to start that way because it's. It's almost like in a classroom telling a student, I'm starting you at an F and you have to work Mm-mm. your way up to an A. You know what I mean? Like it starts in the wrong direction. Let's so start I really with wanted an a to and go down. Yeah. Yeah, and see how you do, right? You deserve an A. Prove it to me. Um, and and so I started in a different place, but we still have these texts. We have to talk about them and and so I wanted to be careful to make sure that I'm not just ignoring them, putting them yeah. in some kind of blind spot. But, but you know, here's my bottom line on my thinking on this. We can't let one or two texts dominate everything in scripture. Mm. Uh, we have to take all the pieces of the puzzle and put them together somehow. So I sometimes use example of like a crime scene investigator walking to a crime scene. They can't just say, hey, there's a bloody knife case closed. They have to say there's a bloody knife, but then the key suspect has an alibi. They have to put all the pieces together, right? One mm-hmm. thing isn't going to tell you everything. So if you have First Timothy and it says, hey, I don't allow women to have authority of a man, but then you also have Deborah, right, who is this amazing leader of Israel in the period of the judges, one of the hardest, darkest periods of Israel. Is it, is it really the case that Paul is saying a woman can't lead a man? Doesn't mm. It doesn't seem to be that case if you have some of these examples that clearly seem to defy that. So, then what do we say about these passages? Are we really understanding the nature of those passages and the scope? Mm. So, the scope is, does it apply universally everywhere to everyone at all times? So let's take the household codes as, I feel like, an easy example to talk about because... People want to say on the household codes, it says women be submissive and husbands love your wives just as Christ loves the church. So it's saying it's using a Christological example that universalizes it. Yeah. The problem with that is... The same kind of thing is done for slavery, where it says, right. you know, masters or uh, slaves obey your masters and masters be kind because you have a master in heaven, you know, and so forth. Is that mean that slavery is a universal prior theological priority? No, we no. decided that a long time ago, yeah. but it's not. So here's what I think is happening. What I think is happening is God is coming to humans in time, in a certain context And he's going to want to meet them where they are and move them forward towards his desired plan. We call this divine accommodation. Mm. And so God isn't just going to say, all right, the real solution is abolition. Let's do it right now. I don't know why he didn't do that. I mm. think maybe it's like, it's like, you know, Indiana Jones, where if you open the arc, your brain, your face will melt off. <laughs> so maybe it's just too much too soon. He has to like start them off slowly. Mm. Um, and he's moving them towards what he wants. We see that happen with things like monogamy versus polygamy, where God is going to move people towards what he wants. But I think he's doing that. So, so we can't treat the, culture of the times in the ancient world as if it's true for all times and all places, like braiding your hair. The Bible strictly forbids in two places braiding your hair, but very few of us would say braiding hair is the problem. (laughs) There's something theological behind that. So what about these passages? What are they really about? Are they really about females recognizing Mm. that men are in a better position to be authorities universally? No, I think they're really about harmony. Mm. God wants harmony in the church. He wants unity, not disunity. First Corinthians talk about orderliness, not disorderliness. God wants that. And so he's really um, fighting towards that using yes. these very specific uh, in individual fact, letters. I was going to
2: say that. We're a whole lot to more, more to it. I have yeah. dozens of topics. pages You've of my book, but, it, but that but gets it, the conversation listen, going. We really want to invite you to go to wherever you buy your books Get a copy of Nije Gupta's new book, Tell Her Story, How Women Led, Taught, and Ministered in the Early Church. We'll be sure to um, put up links to the book and all of that. Nij, quickly, where can our listeners find and follow you, all that you're putting out into the world?
5: Yeah, um, I have a podcast with my friend, Dr. AJ Swoboda, Mm -hmm. called Slow Theology, which is basically about spiritual formation in a messy world, similar to what you guys are doing. Um, And we just really want people to be able to accept and embrace the craziness of life while also still saying Jesus is the answer to whatever your question is. Um, and so you can find us there. And then I'm on uh, social media as well. You can look me up. Um, there aren't that many Nije Guptas that are biblical scholars. So uh, <laughs> they'll, go they'll ahead and Google you. me and hopefully you'll find me.
2: All right. Uh, Dr. Nije Gupta, again, is a professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary, the author of Tell Her Story. Thanks so much for being here with us today.
5: My pleasure. Let's do it again sometime.
2: We'll be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.